Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. There is something that the adversary hopes you don't find out. And what I'm going to do is tell you what he don't want you to know. If you can get this, if this can get into your spirit, I will promise you that you will have a fresh insight on something that changes your life. This helped me as much as anything the Lord had ever showed me. I call this a major spiritual warfare revelation. And there's many verses I could pick. But 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 8. I think I'm reading this from the King James. <clears throat> However... We speak the wisdom of among those that are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Now watch this phrase, which none of the rulers of, the, of this age knew, for had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. Do you think... Satan, who is a fallen angel that has a kingdom of fallen angels that we deal with on this planet. Do you think if he knew the crucifixion would whip him, he'd have let it happen? That's what it's saying here. The rulers of the world had no idea. But had they known, they would have never done it. I'm going to clear up three misconceptions that the body of Christ has. Misconception number one is Satan and God are not co-equal and have never been. God is always superior. Number two... Satan and God are not into power sharing. We read that Satan has power. We read that God has power. And sometimes we think they both have equal power. They do not have equal power. Jesus said, all authority is given to me in heaven and in earth. Number three, Satan and God are not, I mean, God and Satan are not all-knowing. God is the all-knowing one, but Satan is not. Now, if you understand the kingdom of darkness and you understand how it operates, you ask yourself certain questions when Perry Stones looks, looks at you and says, Satan does not know everything. You ask yourself about psychics. And you say, well, what about these people that claim to be able to tell the future, read the future, know the future? If Satan doesn't know the future because the Bible says we're not to operate with those people, we're not to deal with them, we're not to get into that. And I'm going to just explain it to you one way. If psychics were real, how come none of them can win a lottery? Out of the thousands of lotteries in the United States over the past couple of years, I know of not one psychic that won it. If you really could tell the future, why don't you get the numbers? Come on, I'm preaching better than you're listening. Number two in Modesto, California, there was a psychic that, that uh, <laughs> sued, sued a hospital, believe it or not, and won because she had psychic power. But when she went to have an MRI x-ray on her brain, it did something to the neurological cells of her brain, and she's lost her psychic power. I would ask the psychic, if you're a psychic, why didn't you know if you did the MRI, you were going to lose it? Put me on the law case, win it in one statement. It's going to be one of those mornings. Basically, let me just say this to you. There are four ways that the enemy gets information. Number one, he knows what has been predicted. When Jesus delivered the man of Gadara from demons, there were 2,000 spirits. 
The head demon said, do not send us into the deep. That's King James in Luke. Luke said that. But if you read it in Greek, do not send us into the abyss. What is the abyss? The abyss is mentioned in Revelation 9 numerous times. It's called the bottomless pit. It is a chamber in the center of the earth where fallen angels are. So these demons that Jesus is casting out, they know something. They know their doom is going to be the bottomless pit. Now I know that many years later, in 95 AD, John wrote that in the book of Revelation, but that was not written back in the time when Jesus was preaching. So how do the demons know they go to the pit? Because in the book of Isaiah, if you will read it, it talks about Lucifer, Satan, how he wanted to ascend to heaven and be like God and sit in the sides of the north and all that type of thing. And it says, but God said to him in verse 15, but you will be brought down to the sides of the pit. Now that was written 800 years before Jesus, probably somewhere 750, 750 years. So the demons already knew what had been revealed in the scripture, what their doom was. And they said to Jesus, don't do this now. Don't torment us before the time. All right, you got it. So what has been predicted in scripture, Satan already knows, for example. Then watch this carefully. The adversary, and when I say the kingdom of darkness, knows what you say or what you speak. In the book of Job, when he lost everything he had, including his health, he said in Job 3.25, the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of has come unto me. Now, if I were to say to you, folks, I want you to know something. I'm afraid of losing what I've got. I'm afraid that my kids have cursed God. Job 1 and 5, he says, I sacrificed on the altar every day because I was afraid my children had cursed God with their mouth. Stop right there. He's doing this every day. He's telling people his kids may have cursed God. He's saying, I don't want God to judge them. So what do you think the kingdom of darkness does? Satan goes before God and says, hey, Job will curse you if you take something from him. Says it two times. How did the adversary, Satan particularly, go before God in the court of heaven and know that? Answer, that's what Job was doing. That's what he was afraid of. That's what he was talking about. Can I say something real quick and I'll, I'll get off of it? Be careful saying I'm afraid of getting cancer. Be careful saying I'm afraid I'm going to lose my marriage. Because here's what will happen. You may never get cancer and you may never lose your marriage. But I will promise you that you will be attacked on what you confess. So in other words, the enemy understands uh, what you say and speak. He hears that. Number three, he also is aware of certain plans being made in the heaven when it involves angelic activity. Second Chronicles 18, King Ahab was the king in, in Israel and God wanted him to fall in a battle to get rid of him. And so the angels of God in 2 Chronicles 18 are seen in the throne room of God in heaven. There's a group on the left side of God's throne, a group on the right side of God's throne. And they make a decision in the court of heaven, according to scripture, for, some, for, for God to, to go to the false prophets of Ahab and trick them into telling him to go to battle. He went to battle based on the words of his false prophets and guess what happened to him? He got slain in the battle when an archer hit him between the ribs and he died in a chariot. So my point is with this one is plans that are made in heaven or angelic activity that begins to move like Daniel chapter 10 if you'll read that shows that something has happened and that's another way that what we would call the kingdom of darkness is aware of information also he knows certain plans that are made once they are prophesied out I got to talk to you for a minute if you've ever noticed now pay attention to this how many of you have ever received a word from the Lord through a word of knowledge or a prophecy 
and you knew it was for you. Let me, and I, and then, I'll, then I'll show you something. Raise your hand if it ever happened to you. Raise your hand. All right. All of you that just lifted your hands, I'm going to ask you a second question. Ready? How many of you were doing pretty good before you got the word? Let's try that again. How many were doing great and you're like, oh, this is so cool. I just got a word. Raise your hands and hell broke loose. And everything starts happening to where the word is not going to come to pass. And as everything starts happening to where the word does not come to pass, guess what you're doing? I'll tell you one thing. That must have been a false prophet. That was not a word from God because if it was a word from God, it would be happening. No, probably the reason you're going through hell is because the devil's trying to block it from happening. Okay. So in other words, when you get a prophetic word, you'll go to the battle sometimes. Jesus, thou art the son of God. Jordan River, everybody's happy. People jumping around, all wet, splashing around. Wee, we're getting baptized. The duh, Holy Spirit comes like a dove. And guess what happens in the very next verse? Chapter four, and Jesus is led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. How do you go from having a pool party to going up in the wilderness and the devil telling you to throw yourself off a mountain? Because it's, the, it's all a part of the prophetic word being given and the enemy trying to prevent the prophetic word from happening. Right? Everybody still here say yes, say yes. But I'm going to show, oh, Lord, 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 I feel it coming on me. I'm about to show you a simple truth that is the greatest prophetic revelation personally for my life, and it'll be for your life if you'll hear it, that I've ever had in my life. I'm sitting at my desk and I'm thinking about warfare. I'm thinking about battles and I'm thinking about why do they stretch long? How do you know when they're going to end? How come it doesn't seem like they're ever going to end? Why is it that when you get over it, then here comes a retaliation. I call it a counterattack and you get over it. Hey, I got the victory. God did this. You know, you go to the doctor, you're healed. He showed, you can prove it by the x-rays. A few months later, you get a pain. Well, guess what happened? The enemy's trying to bring it back and you're getting all confused here because you're under a counterattack attack and you're saying to yourself, when is this going to end? Do I have any battle-worn people who've ever said to yourself, when is this going to end? That, thank, boy, the rest of you must not be real spiritual because half of you haven't gone through nothing yet, okay? So, uh, okay, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just talk to the bunch that's gone through it because the folks that's gone through it are going to understand what I'm saying. Now, look at this very carefully. I'm going to give you a verse of scripture and I'm going to read it very slow. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. I am the author and the finisher of your faith. Beautiful verses, sort of poetic scriptures, nice and sweet. But in there is the revelation the enemy does not want you to understand. And I'm going to explain it to you this way. The Old Testament is written in the Hebrew language, except for a portion of Jeremiah and some of the book of Daniel written in Aramaic. The New Testament is written in the Koine Greek and Koine means common Greek. There was classical Greek. There was Koine common Greek. It's written in the common Greek so people can understand it. If I were to say to you, I am the A and I am the Z, what did I just tell you? I just told you I am the first letter of the English alphabet and I am the last letter of the Hebrew, uh, 
English alphabet because A, A, B, C, D, you know the song? A is the first letter, Z is the last letter. If I were to say to you in Hebrew, I am the Aleph and the Tav, what would I be saying to you? I am the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which in Hebrew is Aleph. I am the 22nd letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is the last one, and it's the letter Tav. Now, if I were talking to a Greek-speaking audience, I would say it this way. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Because the New Testament is written in Greek, Jesus never said, I'm the Aleph and Tav. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet, and Omega is the final or last letter of the Greek alphabet. There is no letter after Omega. Now, having said that to you, I'm going to make a statement that I want you to hear using the alphabet. In the Bible and all throughout the Bible, Satan is present at the alpha. Satan is present at the first. Satan is present at the beginning of something. Let's, let's go through the Bible. Genesis has about 50 chapters in it or so, right? Who shows up in chapter three of the book of Genesis in the beginning? Genesis Bereshit in Hebrew means the beginning. It's the story of the beginning of Israel. It's the story of the beginning of creation. It's the story of the beginning of the flood, how Noah came out with a new planet, a beginning, a newness. It's all about beginning. But who shows up in chapter three? Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord hath made. And the serpent said, Satan is a picture. His imagery is a serpent, just like the picture of Jesus is a lamb. The symbolism, Satan is in chapter three. When is that? It's the beginning of the garden. It's the beginning of mankind. It's the beginning of humanity. So somebody say this, there he is, right at the alpha. Right at the beginning. Let's, let's take another quick example here. Job has 42 chapters. Who shows up in chapter one and who shows up in chapter two? If you don't know, I'll read it to you. I'll quote it for you. And there was a day when the sons of God, those are angels, came before the throne of God and Satan came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? None like him in all the earth, shuns evil, perfect in all of his ways. And Satan said to God, he serves you for the wrong motive. Take away what he's got and he's going to curse you to your face. Who shows up in chapter one and chapter two? I do not see Satan in chapter three, four, five, 21, 25, 28, 30, 31. He doesn't show up. You see his friends showing up, Job's people showing up. See, the devil will start an attack and then he'll sick people on you because Satan shows up showing Satan initiates this thing in chapter one and two and then he backs up and lets Job's three friends who weren't really friends show up oh help me preach somebody with 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 friends like Job has who needs enemies can I preach this for a minute? I did a commentary on the book of Job. I mean, here are these guys. One of them basically says, well, I'm going to tell you one thing that's wrong with you, man. You've got sin in your life because obviously this kind of thing would never happen if you weren't a sinner. And the other guy over here says, Job, I know what your problem is. You're a very proud man. You know, I've seen the pride in the corner of your eyes every now and then. And you may even be looking at women the wrong way. And God's laying it on you because of your pride. And this guy over here says, well, Job, you've been real wealthy, but you haven't given your money away like you should. And since you didn't give your money away, God, just took it away from you. I tell you, God snatched it right out of your hand. Can you hear these guys? And Job's over here saying, where did you creeps come from? 
What happened to the former? Would you go find the three guys I used to know and please bring them here? I mean, this is crazy because now Satan has backed up from the beginning and turned it over to people. And these guys harass him for 40 chapters. Preach on, I'm going to. Hallelujah. Number three, the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is 30, approximately, according to the Gospel of Luke, when he starts preaching, baptized in the Jordan River. And what happens the moment he's baptized? He goes on a 40-day fast, and for 40 days, Satan, Satan, there he is by name, is tempting him for the entire 40 days. And someone said, well, he didn't tempt you the entire 40 days. Yes, he did. He was tempted for throughout the 40 days. I'm gonna, I, can tell you, well, I can tell you without even reading it in the Bible how he was tempted, because you know what happens to you when you fast. You better eat, you're gonna die. Those stomach cramps, you're gonna, you're gonna have so much acid in your belly, you're gonna get cancer if you don't eat. You better eat something, come on. And you know it's true that your mama that never bakes you a cake decides to bake you an apple pie with extra cinnamon on it. The moment you're on the third day of your fat baby, I was just praying and I felt like the Lord spoke to me and told me to bring you this. The devil is a liar, mama. You, that wasn't God, that's the devil talking through you. Is it really not the truth? You go on the fast and then the, then your relatives, oh, honey, we're coming down. We're coming to Alaska. <laughs> hey, let's go fishing and have a salmon dinner. No, shut up, you lying spirit. I got to fast. I'm telling you what happened during those 40 days. Satan came and said, what are you doing here? This is stupid. What are you doing in the world? If you're the son of God, you don't need to do all this fasting. And then he gets hungry, okay? And then after he's hungered, then the tempter really comes, all right? You know, it would be so funny. I'm sorry. This is just how my mind thinks. Satan comes. Jesus is hungry. Hadn't eaten in 40 days. And Satan says, if you're really the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. And Jesus said, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word. You know what I wish the Bible would have said was this. If you're the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. And Jesus pick up a rock and say, bam, and put it right on his head. <laughs> oh, you want me to turn well? You want me to turn rocks into bread? I'm going to take these rocks and knock you in the head if you don't get out of my path, you sorry thing. <laughs> Why didn't the Bible say that? That's what the Italian Jesus would have done. He'd have called Uncle Vinny. Uncle Vinny, bring me some rocks. We're going to stone this dude, man. Okay, let's stay, let's stay in the Word. Let's stay in the Word. <laughs> the Apostle Paul called on the road to Damascus. He was a Pharisee. I mean, he was trained under Gamaliel. This guy had it. He's intelligent, right? He gets called to minister, goes to Damascus. And what happens to him? What? He has to escape out of a window. Now, I've heard all my life that Paul was a very sh small man. And the traditions, I'm, I mean, there's a tradition from an early father, and, and bless his heart, it says he was very short, he had a hooked hook nose, he was hunched back. Uh, it, must, it might be through all the beatings he took, to be quite honest with you, because he had a rough time. So they lower him in a basket. Man, let me tell you something. <laughs> he was a smurf, he was really small, because, <laughs> I mean, how in the world do you get out a window and get in a basket and get low? Anyway, I'm sorry, Paul, I didn't mean to offend you. Please don't take, I don't want to answer that in heaven. But, but it's, just, it's just a joy of the Lord thing before we get to the main part. 
So Paul in his ministry, he starts his ministry off and guess what? He gets attacked right from, everybody say this, the devil does it again. He starts getting in the alpha. You see how it works? You go to build a building. We've had it happen. And for us, Tennessee T-Deck shows up and tells us that creek right there has to be concealed and you got to put pipes in. So you do that. Then T-Deck comes on and says, now there's another creek down there. And before I can ever get my building built, I am closing down creeks, sealing off wells and running off rabbits because the rabbit might not be offended if you, if I, come on, you all listen to me. So I'm like, baby in West Virginia, we don't run rabbits off. We shoot them and put them on a dinner table. What are you talking about? That's Alaska. Alaskan people understand, you know, when the bear's charging at you, you don't say, Hail Mary, full of grace. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed be the fruit of my... Now, I command you in the name of the Lord. You don't stop. You're going to get it if you don't stop. No. You, by the time that you say that, you are meat on the bear's table, right? Am I telling the truth? Anyway, why am I talking about that? Let's go back to Paul. Here we go. At the beginning of Paul's ministry. Now, here's one more example at the ending of the Jewish captivity in Babylon. They were there for 70 years. At the ending of the captivity, right? They go back to Jerusalem to rebuild. Beginning. Everybody say it's the Alpha. It's a new beginning. It's a new day. It's a new time. And Satan in Zechariah 3 is standing at the right side of the altar to resist the rebuilding of the temple and to accuse the high priest of having filthy garments on. Now here's the part that's interesting. Now, Now track with me. So the high priest had been in Babylon 70 years and we, that priest may have died, the original one. So they kept the garments stored up. They never wore them in Babylon. Now, how would ladies, ladies, how would you like to put on an outfit and go to church that's 70 years old, that's been locked up for 70 years? Where's the women in the house? Yikes. Yikes. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's old, hadn't been worn, probably smells musty. So watch this. That's what the high priest had to wear. They didn't have Clorox laundry detergent back then. You know what I'm saying? So he gets, pulls this out. They rebuild it. He wants to do a sacrifice. And here's the thing that's funny. Satan was right because his garments were filthy. So what he said about... He has filthy garments. He is not permitted to stand with filthy garments. I know the law of the priesthood. Here's the thing about the devil. He will say something about you that might be true. He might accuse you of something you did that you really did. Help me preach now. Where's my shouters now? But God knew the situation. God knew his garments were filthy. God knew he had nothing better to put on. God knew he didn't have time to wash them and clean them. So God sent an angel that stood in the face of the devil and said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord rebuke you that has chosen Jerusalem and ran him off the Temple Mount platform. So the enemy... Oh my goodness. Is always in the beginning trying to hinder something 
that is about to be birthed or is about to be born. Revelation 12, the woman with the man child is in travail giving birth and Satan comes to devour the man child as soon as it's born. Please understand this. When you go to start something new, it can be a home. It can be you've just been married. It can be a business. It can be a brand new church. Always at some point there will be someone or some situation. Sometimes it's the laws of the state, the laws of the city. And I've dealt with this. We built, I've built five buildings. I know what I'm telling you that will come to slow it down, come to hinder it. It doesn't mean they're demonic necessarily or they're evil, but there's a slowing down and a hindering spirit that tries to come along and just make you stand and stop and say, hold on here. What in the world is going on? We were on a roll. We were moving forward. We were doing what we were supposed to do. We, were, we had a word from God and the enemy showed up and now he's using these situations and these things to try to slow me down, to stop me, to stop the progress of what's happening. When there was a man mm-hmm, that was, uh, was born and was born to a midwife and the midwife tried to kidnap him in the month of February in West Virginia because uh, the dad, the dad, the father of this boy had gone miles in the snow to find a coal filled doctor and couldn't find one. And by the time they got there, the mama gave birth and this midwife is screaming, this is my boy. This is my baby. And was running down the steps. And the woman, she had a rope on. She said, William, get him. She's got the baby. Grab her, grab her. If she'd have went out in that cold, she'd have killed that baby boy. And that baby boy was my dad. He got kidnapped almost when he was born. Come on, somebody say in the beginning. 17-year-old boy is playing basketball, and I believe it was in Oklahoma. He dropped over, found out he had tuberculosis, put a, sent him home to try to treat him what they could, and, and told the mama, said, keep him there. He's going he's gonna to probably die. He's probably not going to live. His family got a hold of him, got a pickup truck, put a... A, a, a bed in the back of the pickup truck drove him to a tent revival this is a long time ago in the 40s drove him to a tent revival and when he got into that tent revival a man named Pringle prayed for him and God healed him he stuttered his whole life they made fun of him in school his stuttering quit God completely healed him at the beginning somebody say at the beginning the man that got healed was named Oral Roberts who became the leading tent revival preacher and the head of Oral Roberts University. Another young man is on his deathbed as a teenager. He is sick. He is dying. And as he's lying on his bed in, on, in McKinley, Texas, uh, he hears these words from the Bible. You shall say to the mountain, whosoever shall say to the mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, but shall not doubt in his heart. But believe those things. He shall come to pass, shall have whatsoever he saith. And that became his verse the rest of his life. And he was sick and dying and God healed his body and God raised raised him up and he died in his 80s and he started Rama Bible Institute and his name is Kenneth Hagen. Is anybody hearing what Perry is saying to you today? Another man's family died. Uh, some, I, I don't remember if it was a flood or an accident, but there was something that happened. It was awful. He went into a deep depression and he decided to be a park ranger and he, he's out in the woods one day and he sees a light coming on top of a tree and an angel tells him that he's going to have a healing ministry. And this man had the greatest results, greatest miracles. I, I, I meet people all the time that sat in his ministry, the miracles were absolutely so bizarre and stunning that it just messed people's mind up. I mean, there were unbelievers, doubters, photographers, and journalists that could not deny the miracles he had. People paralyzed would walk. People totally blind would be healed. And the man that was depressed and hardly could make it in the beginning was named William Branham, who had some of the greatest miracles. Anybody hearing me now? Mm -hmm. 
I remember a young man that was uh, at two and a half years of age was in a car wreck. Uh, hit the dashboard so hard. This is, this is back when there were no seat belts. Uh, hit the dashboard so hard it knocked the shoes completely off of his feet. His mother broke, broke her jaw, her broke her knee. The dad bent over the steering wheel, messed up his voice for the rest of his life. He had a raspy voice the rest of his life. Two high school boys with their high school jackets on were in the back seat. The pictures of the old car shows where their hands went through the back of the car into the springs, broke their hands, get going 55 miles an hour, hit a truck from behind, could have killed the boy, could have messed him up for life. And he's laying there in the glass, according to the testimony of his mother. He is not breathing. He is not moving. And the mother couldn't even pray because her jaw was broke where she hit the windshield. And she said in her mind, dear God, don't let my boy die. Please do not. You didn't give me that boy to take him this early. And she said she reached down there when she's in pain and she went, went to see if he was alive and he's jerked one time and started breathing and he got set up and said my shoes my shoes my shoes <laughs> he didn't even care about the car wreck because he's two and a half years old his aunt took him that day and picked little pieces of glass out of his little head where his hair was had some thick hair on his head by that little boy that almost got killed in a 55 mile an hour accident that they picked up out of the glass was me <laughs> almost got killed in a car wreck when i was two and a half years old Ah, what I, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what I want you to understand and what I'm trying to tell you is Satan gets into the alpha. Satan likes to get into the beginning. Uh, he doesn't always know where it's going to head with you. So the thing is, if I can distract them now, detour them now, defeat them now, depress them now, if I can keep them away from God, maybe just maybe I can keep them from doing their God assignment and they're going to be miserable the rest of their life life. They're going to struggle the rest of their life with addictions. They're going to struggle the rest of their life having peace. They're going to struggle. I'm talking to you early. This can happen to you as a teenager and you're trying to go, you know, you don't really want to follow God all the way. You know, there's a heaven, you know, there's a hell, you know, there's things coming, but you don't want to follow God all the way. But I'm telling you, there's a danger in that because what can happen to you is that you can get to a point where you miss God early and you start missing the wonderful things that you have no idea that he has planned for you. And so then you get into a little latter part of your life. And when you get to that latter part you look at yourself and you say in the mirror what did I do where did I go wrong why would I take that path people told me about that I just want to talk to you for a minute I don't know why the Holy Ghost is putting this in me but I want to tell you I heard a woman say to me one time she said I just don't understand I married this guy I married probably a little too young but I married this guy and I just don't know why God didn't stop me and I said to her when your mama came to you and said he was bad that was God trying to stop you when your two sisters told you he ain't good that that was God trying to stop you. When your best friend said you better back away from him, that was God trying to stop you. When your best girlfriend at school said to you he ain't right, he's going to cheat on you, that was God trying to stop you. Let me tell you something. Don't you go blaming God for your decisions as a moron. When your best friends and your family and everybody around you try to tell you something and you're going to bow up and get stubborn about it and act like you know it all, get ready because you're going to have a hard lesson to learn. Anybody been there, shout at me right now if you've been there. Now, you say, okay, we got you. We have that. We see it. But listen to the revelation. Here we go into the last part of this message. Ready? Yes. Yes. When Job is being attacked in Job 1 by Satan, 
I want you to listen to what Satan said about Job. Okay. God brags and says, great man, perfect man, shuns evil, can't find anything with him. And Satan basically says, I've been walking around his property trying to get in, but you've got him so protected, I can't get in. But watch what Satan thinks about Job. Now this is Satan, this is not God telling Satan. Satan has an opinion. Look at your neighbor and say, Satan has an opinion of you. He has an opinion of you. And here's what Satan says. If you do this, Job will curse you to your face. Yet, when Satan took all of his wealth, all of his animals, lightning killed 7,000 sheep, he never cursed God. When Satan hit him with a health, his health, and he's sitting in the ashes, and he's got worms coming out. It was, a, it was a Middle Eastern disease. He got worms breaking out on him, and these boils breaking out on him. He's in terrible pain. He says, my breath stinks so bad, nobody wants to get near me. All my friends have left me. Nobody wants to hang around me. Can't find me. All my kids are dead. He's sitting there. Listen to what I'm about to say. He never cursed God. The Bible said Job did not blame God foolishly, neither did he sin with his mouth. Here we go. This is a little revelation, and I hope you get it. This is what the Lord told me Satan don't want you to know. Ready? Everybody ready? Everybody, everybody in the back ready? Okay. Alpha, Omega. Satan can always initiate an attack, but he cannot control the end and the outcome. He can project what he thinks it's going to be. He can project what he thinks you're going to say. He can project what he thinks your reaction is going to be. But I'm going to say it this way, the way the Holy Ghost gave it to me. The devil knows how to alpha, but he ain't the omega. The, the, the enemy knows how to start it, but he don't know how to finish it. He knows how to begin an attack, but he doesn't know how it's going to end. Because Jesus said, I'm the alpha, but look out, devil, I'm the omega. I'm the author, but look out, devil, I'm the finisher. I am the beginning, but look out, devil, I'm the end. I got news for everybody in this house. Whatever hell you're going through, whatever attack you're dealing with, God Almighty already has been there, and he has already figured it out. All you got to do is hang on just a little bit longer. All you got to do is realize I'm in the middle of it, but it's about to end. James said in James, you have seen the end of the Lord with Job, and how the Lord is full of mercy. And you heard of the patience of Job. If you got the patience, you can outlast it. If you got the patience, you can endure it. If you got the patience, it's going to end well for you. Touch a neighbor, say neighbor. It's going to end well for you. Give the Lord a praise in this house right You better clap your hands again. Let me give you one verse. In Matthew 24, when it talks about the signs of the end of the age that you and I are going to see before Messiah returns in what we call the rapture, the coming of the Lord. He says, here's what's going to happen. Oh, I'm out of shape. 
You will have, you will hear of wars, rumors of wars. We have that right now, right? Taiwan and China and Russia and the Ukraine and Iran and Israel. It's all right there. It is. It's all over, right? India and Pakistan. Go on. Famines. We got that going on now. Food shortages, for example. Pestilence. That's COVID. A pestilence in Greek means a plague that can end in death. Pestilence in diverse places. There's going to be earthquakes, right? So you get famines, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places. These are the beginning of the birth pains. All right, we have seen that. Now, in Matthew 24, Jesus also says this in verse 11, uh, 10, see, 10, right around 10, 11, 12, 13, right in there. He says, now here's what's going to happen. In the last days, many are going to become offended. That's a novel thought. Many are just going to get so offended that if you sing, you don't sing their song, they get offended. If it's too hot in the church, they get offended. If it's too cold in the church, they get offended. If the, if the sound system, and they'll just, they'll just say, I'm just saying, I believe, I believe the Lord led us to another place. Okay. First, first of all, God led them to a church before you. God led them to your church. Now God leading, is leading them out. I would like to address this and tell you God is not bipolar. That's right. With all respect to people that suffer with that, because I've seen people suffer with that. This is not mocking that. I'm just trying to tell you that God is not dyslexic. I, I have a little bit of autism. He's not autistic. But I'm just telling you, God does not change his mind with every wind that blows. All right, let's go back to this. I can tell some of you are just stuck on that right there. You're, offend you're already offended. Just like the Bible says, you're fulfilling prophecies sitting here on church at two... What can I say? What can I say? I can't win for losing. What can I say? Many should be offended, betray one another, hate one another. And because iniquity abounds, love gets cold. That's, how does love get cold? That's when a, guy, a husband says to the wife, I just don't love you no more. That's love getting cold. When anything happens where people break a relationship, love gets cold. Now watch what I'm going to say. Here's the key. But he, he being anyone, he or she, anytime you see a he that's a broad scripture, it's a he or she, he that can endure to the end, the same will be saved. I always thought when I heard that preached years ago that that meant if you can endure the earthquake, the famine, that is not what that refers to. A scripture like that, you have to go to what has said right before it to put it in what they call context. And here's the context. If you, I'm talking to everybody here, can endure being offended. If you can just put up with it. If you can endure your best friend betraying you and stabbing you in the back. If you can just, I'm, I'm cool. It's all right. It's okay. I told my friends a while back, I said, now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little comedian, I think, maybe. So I, take, I say it in humor. But I said, I'm going to go to heaven and Jesus will show me those blessed scars. I believe that. Of the crucifixion. And they're there so that Satan can never say it didn't happen. Satan would love to say, the crucifixion never happened. It was a hoax. Jesus said, check this out. He carried the scars with time. That's why he has scars to prove when he comes back in the middle of the rain that he's the Messiah. They shall say in Zechariah, where'd you get the wounds in your hands? He'll say in the house of my friends. That's what proves he's the right one. That's why he has to have scars. But I said, I'm going to lift up my robe. I'm going to say, see my back? You see where that knife wound is? That's where so-and-so stabbed me. See where that one down here is? That's where so-and-so stabbed. 
We're going to have a wound comparing contest. But guess, but, but guess who wins? Not my little back. The one that carries them forever in eternity. He's the winner. He's the finisher. Shout finisher. Jesus is the author and the finisher of the faith. So here's what the key is. Anything you're going through right now, whatever it might be, that you feel is oppressing to you, depressing to you, heavy to you, you're only going, you are, you are, you have gone into the alpha part. It's already here. It's already started. You might be a fourth of the way, half of the way, and you might, without realizing it, be three quarters of the way already through it. Your goal, his goal, his goal is to finish it. Because there's some things I can't finish. I'm telling you, there's some things. I'm a finisher. My wife will tell you, I'm motivated by finishing a project. And if it ain't finished, I don't know how you are. It's like, the beast comes out. You know, I'm like, somebody get out of my way. I've got to finish this. Solve the problem, right? And you're that way. You want the problem solved, right? You just want it solved. And the longer it lasts, how how many are like that? Raise your hand. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily you're impatient. It means that you are a visionary that likes to be a finisher. So don't condemn yourself over like, well, I must be impatient because I know you are a person that likes to start a project and see it done. So that's not necessarily bad. Don't get me wrong when I say this. But here's what you got to say to yourself. And I've had to do this many times over the past four or six years. Tony Scott, my dear friend, made a statement to me. And he said, I said, how do you handle this? Like, how do you handle belligerent people? How do you handle certain things? And he said, you do what you can do and turn over to God what you know you have no power over. And that helped me more than anything because I realized that in some situations, there's not one thing you can do about it. You know, when you're, I built, like I said, five buildings and I'm waiting for T-Deck to call me for three, three weeks. It's like, would somebody call him? No, don't push him. They'll do it when they, and I'm like, we have some other situations. Would somebody please, somebody said, oh, it's done. It's over. All we got to do is sign off of it. That was three months ago. It's like, hello, sign. Do you want me to write for you? (laughs) Are you with me? So what you have to do, and I want to leave this deposit in your spirit from someone who knows this. What you have to do is what it was. Here's what Hebrews said. Lay aside the weight and sin that does so easily beset you. So what you have to do first is say, check my heart. Is there anything hindering me from seeing this finished? Is there anything hindering me from crossing that line? If it is, I'm going to deal with it. That's the first thing. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of the faith. What does that mean? It means that you, watch this now, you keep your eyes on an invisible finish line. And you have to keep saying to yourself, this is not always going to be this way. This is not always going to be what I'm dealing with is not always going to be there. You have to say it. You have to say it to yourself. And I'll promise you there'll be a moment that you'll get a phone call, you'll get a letter, you'll get something that will happen, and it will be, bam, that's it. That's the end. It has now over. And you'll be able to do what Job did and sit in the middle of there and watch those people come back and watch the very people that said something about you change. And you pray for your enemies. Job said, I prayed for my my friends. I prayed for my enemies. And God said, now I'm turning the captivity and going to bless you with twice as much in the end as you have in the beginning. How many people here are right now, I'm not talking about you have been, 
needed to hear this this morning over something going on. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet right now, please. Stand to your feet. Now, in a minute, I just like Pastor to do this. He, I do this as an evangelist, but I just feel like that you know, know his heart toward you. I'm a speaker, but you, he, you know his heart toward you. And I want him in a moment to come and give a salvation altar call. But for, look, at, look, at, look at the people standing up. Do you see? This is incredible. Are you glad you came to the second service that the Lord spoke to you? What we're going to do, we're going to do, it. We're going to do what the book of Job says. We're going to decree a thing to establish it. So all we're going to simply do is raise our hands after hearing the word. And I want you to repeat a prayer after me. Would you raise your hands? Say this out loud. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I want to thank you for sending this word to me. I want to thank you that I believe the word of God. I believe whatever the enemy starts, he can't complete it. He cannot finish it. I declare you are the finisher. You are the end. You are the omega. And I'm asking you, Lord, give me strength Give me courage. Give me the ability to hold up under what I bear right now till the end of it. I thank you in advance that you are the closer. <laughs> you are the finisher. And I confess this Sunday morning that I have faith in you. I have faith in you. You're going to finish this for your glory and I'm going to have joy in the morning. Put your hands up and praise God out loud, everybody. Come on. Awesome. Thank you, Brother Perry. You all may be seated. And as you're being seated, would you online as well as here examine your heart won't you do that right now? Nicodemus came to Jesus as is recorded in John chapter three. And he said, teacher, we know you, you've come from God because nobody can do the things that you've done unless God has sent him. And Jesus begins to tell him how he can have his sins forgiven. He begins to show him the way, the truth, the life, if you will. He, he says, you must be born again. As powerful as that message was, and I've been impacted. Anybody else, you've been impacted? I've been impacted all week. The most important thing you will hear today, which Brother Perry Stone would attest to, is this. Without Jesus, you're going to end up in a devil's hell. It was never created for you. You must be born again. I'm glad you came to church this morning. I'm, I'm glad you're going to come tonight. I'll be preaching tonight. Don't miss it. It's going to be great. Because God's great, His Word's going to go forth. It's going to be life-changing, as is literally every service we have. Wonderful. Praise God. But just because you're in church doesn't mean you go to heaven. You could have baptismal waters dripping off your face and still split hell wide open. You must be born again. And I'm just going to take another 90 seconds to emphasize that. I was talking to Brother Perry, and we were talking about people who come to the Lord it appears they come to the Lord and then three months later six months later 
a year later, they're not serving God anymore. And that, that's a mystery that we see. I've seen it over and over and over, and it's grievous. We try to get people connected and try to get them, you know, growing in the Word and learning about Jesus and getting a, a real strong, firm foundation for their life. And then they spin off, and we know that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. One, one of the theories we, we came to is that they, maybe they never really repented. I said, maybe they never really repented. Maybe, maybe they just came and had an encounter with God, but never really submitted and never really was God. There's godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow brings death. That means you're sorry about what happened, what you did. You're sorry about your sin. You're sorry. But that's not a godly sorrow. A godly sorrow grieves over it and changes. That's what repentance is. Re, again, pent, think rethink they think differently they do a 180 and begin to live a life dedicated and separated unto God so if you've never given your life to Christ in a very real way you say well I think maybe I did listen if you can't remember when you were born again then you probably haven't been born again because it's not the kind of thing that you forget so with every head bowed and every eye closed I want to declare to you the truth that Jesus is the way Jesus is the truth Jesus is the life apart from him You're not going to make it to heaven. You, can, you are not forgiven. Let me say this. There's only one sin here. Look at me one more time. There's only one sin. Only one. There is only one sin. Everybody say there's only one sin. There's only one sin that God can't forgive you of. Only one. Want to know what it is? Denying Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That is the only sin that he cannot forgive you of. Now bow your head. You want to give your life to Christ for the first time? You've never done that before. You want to give your life to Jesus. You want to be born again. You want your sins forgiven. You want heaven to be your home. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Number two, if you drifted, you gave your life to Christ, but, but you drifted. And, and truly, maybe you never really did repent. Or maybe you just made a choice because there is a falling away. Maybe you just got wound up in something and your heart drifted from the Lord. Come back home. Number two, come home. Give your life to Jesus afresh and anew. Recommit to Him. Number three, if you're not sure, you want to be sure of your salvation online in Dillingham and Massachusetts, right here in the sanctuary from the front to the back, the left to the right. You want to get right with Jesus for the first time. You want to recommit your life perhaps. Or number three, you just want to be sure. On the count of three, would you slip your hand up? You want to be included in this prayer? On the count of three, do it. One, two, three. Would you slip your hand up? My, my, my. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. Praise God. God bless you, son. God bless you. I see that hand. Oh, somebody ought to get happy. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Hands going up all over the place. Would you, would you pray this out loud? Do I have to do it out loud? The Bible says you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth unto salvation. Yes. Yes, you do it out loud. All right, you ready? Out loud. There'll be others praying with you. Right out loud. Say, Dear Heavenly Father. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die in my place, to rise again from the grave for me. Forgive me of all of my sin. I repent. Wash me. Cleanse me. Come into my heart. Make me new. And use me for the purpose for which I was created. Set me free from every chain from every bondage, from every yoke. 
Thank you for loving me. Thank you for writing my name in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Would you lift your hands as a sign of surrender to God? I pray, Holy Spirit, now. Fill and touch each and every one that prayed that prayer out of sincerity of heart. Break every chain, every bondage, every curse. Release your power. Baptize these afresh in your Holy Spirit right now. Be filled. In Jesus' name. Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's Word. Thank you again for listening to King's Alaska Podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com. And may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.